electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach and put it all in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me, Jim Kramer. I used to dread these big Fed days like today. I was always trying to game what was said, what would be said, what wasn't said, what changed from last time, what would be different. It drove me nuts! Over the many years of observing these meetings, though, like we had today, where the Fed raised interest rates by another 25 basis points, taking them to the highest level in 22 years, I realized that trying to parse the Fed's moves is a mugs game. There are so many people who follow this stuff better than I do, who know the nuance of every word, that I think it's a much better idea to use the volatility created by these meetings and buy the stocks to fit the overriding themes we've seen so far this earnings season. It's fresh. It's good. Of course, we didn't get that much volatility today. Dow gained 82 points, the longest win streak since 1987. Uh-oh, that was a bad year. While the S&P dipped 0.02%, NASDAQ declined 0.12%. But my advice stands. So let's do this. Let me give you the 10 dominant themes we've seen so far this earnings season. The best ways to play it. That way you can make some hay with these longer-term stories rather than just endlessly fretting about whether Jay Powell meant to say what he did. Data-dependent, meeting-by-meeting, lower inflation. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, you got it. The number one theme this earnings season is the use of generative AI to make better decisions and to save money for companies, not to mention time. So far, that's what we know AI can do for us, not more than that. We know Alphabet and Microsoft just gave us some very positive words about AI, but there were plenty of concerns about the cost of of ramping this revolutionary technology. That's a big reason why Microsoft stock got hammered today, although I like it at this level. Too much cost ahead of the potential gains. That said, it's down enough to buy. This evening, ServiceNow said it's making more use of AI than anyone. They call it a once-in-50-year technology change. CEO Bill McDermott announced tonight, Then in September, the company will release a new version of the platform with these new AI tools, which could drive, he says, a 60 to 100 percent increase in contract value in some customers. And that that's not in the company's robust guide that he gave us tonight. By the way, of course, both Adobe and Salesforce have operative products that I am told are being really, really well received. Now, there's one common theme behind all of them, though. They need NVIDIA's ultra-high-end graphics cards to power this stuff. ServiceNow made that point tonight. It's the simplest way to play the AI theme. Uh, And ServiceNow is probably the easiest stock to plug and play because McDermott emphasized those remarks this very evening. We also got a good quarter from Meta this evening. That's fully known as Facebook, of course. It was helped by AI. Meta had great cash flow, strong ad revenue, better than expected management. Uh, engagement. I'll tell you something. Every region beat. CEO Mark Zuckerberg was incredibly enthusiastic about the scale of the opportunity in AI. One of the few areas where he's spending more rather than a lot less. AI winner again. 
Second most dominant theme, housing. No matter what the Fed does, it doesn't seem to be able to send down the price of housing, which is up 40% in four years. Come on. We just got a report from Pulte Group that indicates rate hikes just aren't knocking down home prices because most mortgage holders are paying much lower interest and they don't want to surrender those low rates by selling their homes. Jay Powell talked about some credit issues among consumers, but the demand for homes vastly exceeds the existing supply, and that's not changing. In fact, despite higher mortgage rates, it's actually getting worse. So what do you do? I suggest buying an R and Toll, best housing place. Third is margin expansion. This earnings season, there's been a recognition that some companies have such powerful brands to the point where they've been able to maintain higher price points, even as their raw costs have come down, and in some cases, come down a lot. So far, we've seen these higher price points being preserved by PepsiCo and Unilever, but not by Kimberly Clark. Not enough mass, not enough scale. I think Procter & Gamble supports Friday, Travel Trust name, might be the next stock that can keep its prices up while raw costs have declined because of their monster worldwide business. By the way, Chipotle talked after it's closed tonight. They're clearly a member of the club, but they're not going to get a lot of credit for it because of a light sales result and conservative third-quarter guide. More Chipotle later when we speak with management. Fourth is the return of enterprise software as a favorite sector of the stock market. From here to here. Now, I pointed out many times that this group is on fire and could have more room to run. My favorites, MongoDB, Confluent, Monday.com, and Cloudflare among the small operators, Salesforce and Adobe, among the big ones. Before the Fed started tightening, these stocks were all market darlings with great growth. They've now pivoted to strong growth with profitability, which is what Wall Street wants. Fifth theme, travel and leisure remains incredibly strong post-COVID. The long-on-money, short-on-time thesis is still very much in play. The obvious ones are still the cruise lines, Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian Cruise. I like the airlines, notably Delta, Marriott, and Airbnb. That last one is so good. Work for destinations worldwide. Please, let's not forget, especially after this morning, Boeing which just reported an astonishingly good quarter. Uh, by the way, how about GE, which had some profit-taking, but is now on course to join Boeing with a multi-year move thanks to the enduring bull market in aerospace. You know what? After speaking with Dave Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing, this morning when I spoke to him on Squawk on the Street, I think Boeing stock has much, much further to run than it has so far. Six, there's been no let-up in the need for cybersecurity. Even the second-rate players like Tannable are putting up decent numbers. Not recommending that one. My favorites are CrowdStrike and especially Palo Alto Networks because it's got the soup-to-nuts superior offering. Palo Alto is a huge favorite in the charitable trust, as all investing club members know. Seventh, infrastructure doesn't quit. Spending of all strikes because of all that Fed stimulus. When we're talking about climate-driven investments in alternative energy, I think you got to play with Tesla. And now, an industrial that I've not been able to talk enough about, which is Eaton. When we're talking road building, I like Caterpillar, and of course, new structures is Nucor, the steel company. Eighth, as much as I dislike the Chinese government, I like that the Chinese economy, it's still one more attempt to come back, and that means you can buy Starbucks and Wynn Resorts, the casino company, as well as I've, well, own it, don't trade at Apple. I think the Chinese Communist Party is now doing everything it can to make the economy stronger. It has not succeeded yet. But that just means it's going to keep trying. American companies with big China exposure work in that environment. Ninth, there's the supply chain normalization that's finally taking place, allowing many companies to deliver good numbers after a real rough time because of COVID. Boeing talked about how the supply chain's gotten better. Stanley Black and Decker, a, a charitable trust name, has said that supply chains have improved. Same goes for Coca-Cola and PepsiCo. The multi-year logistics nightmare is over. Tenth, 
like the trade down theme, both Sam's Club owned by Walmart and Costco, what a horse, have experienced robust sales as consumers pull in their horns. Now, we're going to hear more on this issue when we speak to supermarket giant Kroger later today. Why am I so confident about all these particular groups? Because the information is on time. It's current. It's now. We know how the markets react to these issues in real time. That's what I like. Now, of course, decent themes, organized labor, stronger than it used to be. Markets clearly thinks the team's just got the better of uh, UPS. I think too soon to jump to any conclusions there. Although I do worry about a UAW strike, the empowerment of labor, good for union members, bad for you if you're a shareholder. On the flip side, aren't the banks down enough that they make sense? I think this topic is not overarching. I don't want to pick something that can have three days to straight up and then I got to tell you it's fully valued. How about the resurgence of IPOs? Not yet. Bottom line, I like my approach. It's clinical. It's unemotional. It's empirical. Remember the theme this week. Keep it simple. Those 10 categories are as simple as they get. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. I follow the fundamentals that you talk about to a T, and now I can retire early. Thank you so, so much. There you go. There you go. That's what the show's about. Let's go. My question is on Energy Transfer Limited Partners. It has a high dividend, a low P.E. Is it a buy? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Now, I have been reluctant for a while, but I changed my mind. Why? Because we do have so much demand for pipes. And I have to admit, the yield's good. And Kelsey Warren has put together, after many years, a very decent agglomeration of pipes that does work. Dave in South Carolina. Dave. Jimmy Chill. How are you, sir? The chill man is in the house. What's happening? Love it. Jim, I've been I've been riding this stock for a little bit. Um, it's come down off its highs the last couple months by about twenty bucks. I want to know if I should keep riding this pony or I should look for another thoroughbred in the same uh, sector. My stock is AMD. All right, AMD is having a, what I call one of these consolidation phases. I think the PC market is bottomed. I think they're doing well in the data center. People worried about whether there's too many data centers. I think they'll be fine. AMD, we heard the other day from Taiwan Semi that demand is very good for their chips. I'm sticking with it. My travel trust, I think you should stick with it, too. All right, remember the theme this week. It's keep it simple. These 10 categories are as simple as they get. Write them down. They will make you money, I believe, in this choppy environment. It's been a good run, but now we got to find out what's going to happen. On Man Money Tonight, Chipotle reported after the bell, and I'm taking a bite of the report for the company's top brass. And what the heck happened to Spotify stock yesterday? Plunging 14% after earnings? I'm digging the details because I know you care about this stock, and I'm going to share with you what I know about the new streaming service. It's pretty enlightening. And uh, look, to, to get a read on the state of the consumer, then look no further than Kroger. I'm seeing what the grocery kingpin is seeing with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Why are we making these mixed numbers from Kramer Fave Chipotle? After the close, the terrific Mexican chain reported and gave you a 34-cent bottom line per share earnings beat off a $12.31 basis in line same-store sales, but some people felt a light revenue number. They're making more money thanks to better restaurant-level operating margins as many of Chipotle's key costs have finally started coming down. However, the company also guided the low to mid-single-digit same-store sales growth in the current quarter. That's a bit below the 5.9% number the analysts wanted, and I suspect they're just being conservative. But given that the stock's up 50% for the year going into the quarter, and some found those revenue numbers wanting, Wall Street doesn't want to see a single pair single piece of hair on this one, and of course, therefore, traded down instantly after the close. Overall, though, I thought it was good, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Brian Nickel. He's the chairman and CEO of Chipotle. Get a better sense of the quarter, and more importantly, what comes next? Mr. Nickel, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Good good to be with you. All right, so Brian, you did it again. The same store sales are good, but I've got to tell you, this margin improvement, 230 basis points, most restaurants have it going the other way. Why are your margins improving? You know, look, uh, the good news is we're driving traffic, and obviously that traffic is resulting in same-store sales growth. Um, and our, frankly, our supply chain team, our operators have done a great job of managing labor, managing costs along the way. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, our margin, uh, north of 27%, it's our highest margin since, I think, 2014 or 15. Uh, so we're really proud of the fact that we're driving traffic, we're driving overall comp, and we're doing it in a way that is flowing to the bottom line. So you did say, really proud of the results. Well, you're right. But you did say you're not out of the woods. You mentioned uh, beef, tortillas, dairy, salsa, beans, and rice. I mean, those are variables that could go the other way. You're confident, though? Yeah, I mean, look, you bring up a really good point, Jim. I, I was just about to say the, the one thing is inflation is still showing up in both labor, kind of in the mid-single digit range, and if you exclude kind of the great um, kind of pullback in costs on avocados, you are still seeing mid-single-digit inflation in those areas you just mentioned. So, 
you know, I think we've said this over and over again. We're, we're going to keep an eye on it. The good news is we've got tremendous pricing power so that if we need to pull that, we can pull that lever. Uh, but, you know, we've always said we'd rather kind of not be in front of where things are, but rather make sure we understand where inflation is and then adjust accordingly. Now, I, uh, so but I, we'll, I we'll adjust if we need to do but I did detect, Brian, that you did think that uh, labor market is uh, starting to cool, but you're also making sure that you can control some of your own destiny. Now, we talked about Chippy last time. I thought Autocado <laughs> was something we must address because it's a really huge step that you guys keep taking. Yeah, you know, uh, so we, we spent a bunch of time in our restaurants with our team members wanting to find out where are the big pain points uh, in our morning prep. Uh, you know, obviously, we're bringing in all this fresh produce, you know, fresh avocados every day. One of the areas that they said is a, you know, a task that's pretty hard and takes a lot of time is cutting, coring, and peeling the avocados. And so uh, we challenged our team to come up with a robotic or an automated solution. Uh, and we've got one is, that's a prototype, it's the Autocado. Um, and we're pretty excited about what it could do for us because not only does it make the job easier, it also allows us to recover faster in those events we find ourselves that we didn't prep enough guacamole for the day. You guys are so far ahead of the game in these kinds of things. Now, I hate to get too granular. The reason why we caught the 50% increase here is because we don't do what I'm about to do. But there is a question of cadence of the comps, whether you are actually concerned, you were a little bit conservative on the next quarter. Is that something you saw as we went into this uh, end of the quarter? Or is it just you just saying, look, anything could happen. I mean, we hope it goes well. Yeah, look, you know, if you look at the comp cadence during the quarter, uh, it was all really strong. And as we exited the quarter, it continued to be really strong. We are rolling off of about five points of pricing in the quarter. And so, you know, obviously we want to see how that plays out. Um, the traffic continues to be something that's a strong underlying trend. I love the fact that the traffic is what's driving our comp. And, uh, you know, as a result, we want to make sure we give guidance that we think is in the right range. And, you know, our goal is to deliver on what we say. And I think we've done that over and over again. Um, and, you know, every now and then we sometimes over deliver. So, um, you know, we want to be cognizant of the facts that are in front of us, which is we're rolling off of a fair amount of pricing. Uh, we haven't taken any pricing today and we're driving our comps through transactions. Fair enough. Now, digital sales, a percentage of total revenue. Look, during the height of the pandemic, you got to 60 percent. I happen to love delivery. Of course, we had it today, as we always do in Chipotle Day. But it's starting to drop down at the high 30 range. Is that just people wanting to go to the stores? Because I think your delivery system is so superb. I don't know why. I kind of waffle on going to the stores now. You know, I mean, one of the things we have seen is uh, a little bit of pullback in delivery as it relates to our our white label business. Um, and one of the things that we know is as we roll out more Chipotle lanes, we see that delivery business go down and we get more order ahead business. Uh, and so, you know, we just passed, I think, our 600th Chipotle lane. And I think you're going to continue to see that mix change a little bit where more people shift to the order ahead because they're able to get their food without getting out of their car. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a great experience, whether you choose delivery, order ahead, and if you come into the restaurant, obviously, we, we always know we get a great experience there, too. I, I can't. I always have to do it at the end of my interview. Chicken Alpha Star. We absolutely love the Alpha Star. I had it again today, but it's still viewed as a one time only limited. Can we just make that so that's a permanent? <laughs> well, it is this time. It is definitely uh, going to run its course and then we'll be bringing out a new menu item after that. But uh, you're not the only one that's given us that feedback. That has been a tremendous program. 
that's driven a lot of transactions as well as check. And um, our culinary team, our marketing team hit it out of the park. And then obviously our operators executed flawlessly. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. It'll probably be back at some point, Jim. Will it, will it fly in the Mideast? I mean, will it fly in Dubai and Kuwait? <laughs> that's where I see you guys headed next. Yeah, we're really excited about the partnership with Al-Shai. Obviously, they're terrific operators. They know the Middle East. Um, they're really excited to be having the opportunity to lead the Chipotle brand in that part of the world for us. Uh, we probably won't start with chicken al pastor. We'll start with our menu, obviously make sure it's culturally relevant in all aspects, but I'm really excited about seeing those restaurants open next year. Well, as you um, should be. be as you should be. And I'm glad yeah. we, you know, the more granular it gets, sometimes I think we do miss the big picture. The big picture is you're the best there is. Brian Nichols, Chairman <laughs> CEO of Chipotle. Congratulations again. Another great quarter. Hey, thanks, Jim. Absolutely. Man, money's back here to the break. Coming up, can you spot the day the music died? Find out how Spotify's rhythm turned into blues next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. All right, here's a great puzzle. What the heck just happened to Spotify? That's that music streaming company that dominates the entire industry. Yesterday, the card reported not so hot quarter. Stock plunged 14%. You changed the direction, given that it was up 107% for the year going into earnings. Now, if you're like me, this is one of those puzzles the market occasionally gives you. I want to help solve it for you. So you know how stocks really work. And sometimes it is very counterintuitive, even baffling to most of you. And I got to tell you, until I drilled down on this one, it's baffling to me. Some of this was great expectations. Before the quarter, the analysts were overwhelmingly bullish on Spotify. Almost every earnings preview note was positive, with many featuring substantial price target boosts ahead of the quarter. The stock was en fuego. In fact, just over a month ago, Wolf Research upgraded the stock from pure perform to outperform, meaning to basically hold by, calling it their top pick among the subscription Internet plays they cover. This analyst predicted accelerating revenue growth, we call that ARG, and rising margins. They thought the business was just shoot the lights out, booming! But then we got the numbers, and it turns out Spotify indeed does have a problem. Sure, they're still adding new users like crazy. Monthly average users were much better than expected, up 27% year-over-year, 551 million. That's extraordinary. Their monthly average user growth has actually been accelerating for six straight quarters. Premium subscribers were up 17%, ad-supported users were up 34%, and subscriber numbers came on strong in North America, Europe, and Latin America. So Spotify is very popular. 
Sadly, though, terrific subscriber numbers don't seem to be translating into terrific sales or earnings. Spotify's total revenues came in a little weaker than expected, although some of that's currency-related. This is a European company, so they've been hurt by that newly stronger euro. But even excluding currency swings, they would have had 14% revenue growth, which seems kind of pathetic compared to the 27% uptick in monthly average users. Which brings me to the first big problem with the quarter. Spotify struggling to monetize these people correctly. Their average revenue per user for premium subscribers was actually down 6% year over year. Sell, 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 sell. Even on a constant currency basis, it was down 3%. That's probably one reason management decided to raise prices earlier this week. In the U.S., they're taking from $9.99 per month to $10.99. The first price increase they've launched since they've launched the service nearly 15 years ago. Unfortunately, management says they won't see any impact from higher prices until the fourth quarter. So the current quarter could still have some issues. There's a gap. Still, even accounting for Spotify being late for the, to the price increase party, what on earth is going on here? The premium average revenue per user, user has been sinking for, for three straight quarters. And that's just the premium side. On the ad-supported side, they don't even seem to care about monetization. Spotify's ad-supported revenue came in at less than 1.2 euros per user. That's nothing. I know the ad market has been challenged over the last year, but come on. I think the issue here is that these guys view their whole ad-supported user base of 343 million people as little more than a funnel for the subscription business. Given that monthly average users on the ad-supported side were up 34%, premium subs were up only 17%. Maybe they need to change that mentality. Netflix is eager to have both tiers because ad support is more lucrative for them than subscriptions. Ad support there does have a small amount of subscription to it. Why can't Spotify pull up the same thing? I mean, they're both usually popular. Now let's talk about another problem. Spotify's expenses came in way higher than expected, which is brutal for profitability. They reported an adjusted operating loss of 119 million euros, which is far worse than the 19 million euro loss the analysts were looking for. Free cash flow came in at just 9 million euros. Analysts wanted to see 72 million. Management said it was more of a timing problem, but Spotify's free cash flow has been awful for three quarters in a row now. Every other tech-oriented company has spent the bulk of last year desperately trying to become more profitable. Because as I said at the top of the show, Wall Street's turned against pure growth at any cost strategies. Investors only want profitable growth. Without it, Spotify didn't get the memo. Everybody else is firing people left and right to boost the numbers. Meanwhile, these guys are still spending like drunken sailors. Hey, take a look at what Meta did if you want to know how to pull it off. Even Netflix, which is arguably the closest analog, has made a meaningful improvement in profitability and cash flow generation over the past couple of years, justifying the big run in stock. I don't know, maybe Spotify late to the party, but at least they're finally raising subscription prices. Now, all that said, this one's fixable. They're already putting through a nice price hike, and it wouldn't take much for management to get religion on spending discipline. Start thinking about how to make more money from that ad tier. Plus, don't forget, Spotify stock got killed yesterday because of those expectations. When you look at the company's actual guidance, they basically hit or exceeded every line from the last set of forecasts in April. It's just that the analysts thought the numbers would be much higher than what management was promising. In some ways, it wasn't Spotify's fault at all. So given that these guys can hit the forecast, I think it's important that Spotify gave us excellent guidance for the current quarter. Monthly average users, premium subscribers, gross margin, operating income, all better than expected. Only the revenue outlook was weaker, and that was mostly currency related. Plus, Wall Street isn't willing to give up on this one. Even if the quarter sent the stock into a tailspin, more analysts raised their price targets and cut them. I think that's a very important metric. Deutsche Bank even upgraded from a hold to a buy today, and that's why the stock could rebound 6%. 
And let's take a step back for a second. Yesterday's solve was actually the fourth consecutive down day for Spotify. which in total felt from its 52-week high of $182 last Wednesday to around $140 its lows yesterday. While a 23% decline in four days is certainly serious, the fact that Spotify basically just gave back its gains from the past two and a half months, that's not so bad. Even after the pullback, stocks still up 89% year-to-date. It's not like this thing's become a huge loser. And I'm not ready to give up on Spotify, which I've been a big champion for, either. At the end of the day, I hope that the incredibly negative reaction to the suboptimal second quarter will serve as a wake-up call, a shot across the bow to Spotify's management. It can certainly give them cover to be more aggressive with cost cuts and price increases. Here's the bottom line. Spotify is a hugely successful audio streaming company that I like very much. So successful, the entire music industry is based on their houses. But they're having trouble translating that strength into actual earnings. I believe the company can and will turn things around because the core franchise is excellent. But it's time for Spotify to prove it. And until they do, I think they're greener pastures like Netflix that are better bets on a positive turn. Let's go to Thomas in New York. Thomas. Yes, sir. Big booyah out to you, brother. Thank you, Thomas. I'm right back at you. We want to thank you. We want to thank you for your continuous insight. We did well on Carnival, and we're doing well on MGM. As you know, MGM's around 50 and change. I bought it at 30, so I got that 20-point bounce. I'm curious to know your opinion as to whether I should buy more. Sell some or whatever I should do, Jim. Appreciate your I insight. like a stock that's up 50%, and that's why I take 10% off a 50% win. I want you to take 10% off of that tomorrow. Now, you'd say, well, listen, Jim, do you still like MGM? Of course I do. But discipline trumps conviction. We schnitzel. We take a little off. We let the rest run. Bob in Nevada. Bob. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am good, Bob. How about you? I'm Okay. Okay, that's cool. What are we talking? What stock are we talking? I'd like to know about Disney. We got Bob Iger on one side, we got right. a strike, and we got Florida going on the other side. Let's talk. Let's let's talk peace about Disney and about Estee Lauder at the same time. These are two stocks that I've blown for my travel trust. I'm a proud club teacher. I love to get it right, but when I get it wrong, I owe you one. Here was the problem. Disney does not have the cash flow to pull off what it wants to do. It doesn't have the right movies right now. Only the theme parks are really humming. I am wrong on Disney. I had thought that this would have a pivot and start going up. I know that this quarter is not that good and maybe the next one. So I am doing my best to try to rationalize why I'm still in the stock. And the answer is because I, I think Bob Iger can still turn around. But I've been wrong. And you could argue, therefore, I shouldn't have any say in the room about what to do with the stock of Disney. Got to own it got to tell the truth at all times. I believe that Spotify can and will turn things around, but it's time for them to prove it. Until they do, I think there are greener pastures and better bets out there. Much more may have out yet, including by Susan with Kroger. Close viewers know that we have covered the state of M&A, and there's some recent roadblocks. So what's going on for the nearly $25 billion acquisition of grocery chain Albertsons by Kroger? Will the government be blocking it? We've been talking a lot about that. Let's get the latest in the CEO. Then the art of the conference call is a very important factor of earnings season. So which calls are winners and which ones are duds? Well, I got the answers. I've done the homework and I'm going to give you my take. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. One 
than 10 months ago, we learned that Kroger, the giant supermarket powerhouse, shelling out $25 billion to acquire Albertsons in a deal that would create, maybe you could say, the nation's dominant pure grocer. Stick with that term. Of course, the Federal Trade Commission has been holding things up and will almost certainly try to block the deal, given the current hostility to almost any merger that the FTC has. Kroger seems ready to fight them in court. I think they've got strong arguments because their stores don't have much overlap with Albertsons. But the whole thing has kept the stock stuck in limbo, bouncing between the mid to high 40s since the deal was announced, even as the numbers have been very strong. I think it's about time we got an update on both the course of the deal and, of course, the current state of food inflation, something that's all the more important now that we, it's clear that the Fed's going to keep tightening. So let's take a closer look with the ultimate grocer. That's Rodney McMullen. He's the chairman and CEO of Kroger. To learn more, Mitch McMullen, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. It's great seeing you, and thanks for the invite, as always. Of course. Now, we had the Fed meeting today, and it sounds like you know, there's that food keeps bouncing around, but the pe- people's income in the country, they, the Fed said, listen, people are starting to get a little stretched here. What are you seeing, especially with SNAP benefits being cut back, and yes, student loans, you've got to start paying for them. Yeah, it would be very similar. We're seeing customers that are on a budget uh, definitely changing behavior. They're uh, smaller basket sizes, buying more own brand products, things like that to stretch their budget, uh, shopping more frequently and spending less per trip. Uh, people that aren't under th- those economic strains are continuing to behave the same in terms of, you know, if you look at uh, higher end wines, uh, Starbucks, things like that, they're continuing to spend as they were even beforehand. What do we make about these articles that we've seen lately? That the supermarkets are losing the food fight, that some of these big uh, box grocers are able to undercut your pricing? Well, for us, it's one of the things that, you know, the customer always benefits. And if you look at the value we offer, we offer customers incredible value when you look at uh, the everyday pricing, but the promotional activity, our rewards program, fuel rewards, and all those things. So a customer can shop with us at the same price. Uh, you know, we've invested and lowered our pricing for multiple years in a row. And that's one of the reasons why we're so confident when the FTC looks at the detail uh, that we'll be able to share that the customer benefits, our associates benefit, and the communities benefit from the merger. Right, well, I'm glad you brought up the deal because you guys have put out some really unbelievable work, including a Solomon Partners report that everybody needs to read. A few things you might not know about grocery. And in it, it's very clear that a Walmart, a Costco, and Amazon have far more reach than you, are able to do a lot more things than you, and putting Kroger together together with Albertsons actually is still, unfortunately, a drop in the bucket versus what Walmart's doing or Costco's doing or Amazon. Does the government understand that in order for Kroger to be as relevant as it wants to be, it has to try to stay at least as big as these other guys? Well, that's the, the thing that we're working on in terms of trying to help the government and the FTC understand. You know, we're the fourth largest retailer before the merger. We'll still be the fourth largest after the merger. And, the you know, the customer will benefit uh, from that, uh, it also allows us to further invest in technology, uh, Seamless, which we call our online business Seamless, where we'll continue to be able to uh, support customers in a broader way where they can shop online, delivery, and uh, also in a store. So for us, it's one of those things where it's two companies, as you mentioned before, the overlap is pretty limited uh, when you look at it uh, in terms of the map for the two companies. 
and it allows us to provide better job security. Uh, we'll be the largest uh, union employer in the United States. Uh, and the, if the merger didn't happen, the only one that benefits would be some of those non-union uh, competitors you talked about. Yeah, now I know the government has been concerned. About, I saw the merger guidelines that came out. That's why it's so great that you're on. They really don't want uh, any overlap entity to be spun off into something that may not last or be strong enough, including private equity. Does that make it so any deal that has any overlap is doomed? See, I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, if the, if the customer benefits, if the associate benefits, we call employees associates, and the communities benefit, I think the uh, government, the FTC, will look and understand all of those things. And, you know, it's one step at a time. Obviously, uh, we uh, went through all the analysis before we ever got to the point of actually setting down with Albertsons. So I, I just have so much confidence and faith because we have a track record of actually, in our previous mergers, lowering prices for customers, investing in wages, uh, providing better job security. In fact, we've added over 100,000 union jobs since 2012. So those are the things that when you start looking at the details, I think will be really important for somebody to see. Are they listening, though? Ronnie, are they listening? They seem so dogmatic. Uh, the FTC seems to just think that any merger is bad for the consumer, but this is a pro-competitive uh, merger by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and I have so much faith uh, in professional people that will actually look at the real facts. So I have total confidence and faith that they'll be able to actually sit down and will be able to uh, talk to them, be able to listen and have a dialogue. So I have you know, just so much confidence and comfort that that will happen. In the meantime, I know you're going to continue to offer deals. It's hard to believe it's almost back to school time. You've got 250 items for less than three bucks. Tell me about that. I want to go. Yeah, it's really trying to help people on a budget, you know, get, getting their kids back to school and being able to have, you know, the books for them, uh, pencils and all those things to make it really easy, uh, be able to do it on a budget and have the things the kids like and obviously crayons to throw in as well. Well, I mean, when I look at what you try to do, it's very clear that you're still doing local where local's right. Is that working for you? All the different kinds of Kroger's look very different when you're in their markets. Yeah, for us, that's incredibly important because for us, if the customer can't see it, we want to make sure that we're going to the market uh, as a bigger company. So if you look at technology, uh, it allows us to invest in technology and spread that against, across the whole company uh, where we're able to compete with the players that are a lot bigger than us. Uh, if you look at uh, from a loyalty program, all of those things allows us to give scale. So when somebody fills a prescription in Cincinnati, if they're in Phoenix for vacation, they can go there. So all of those things are important. But from a customer standpoint, in terms of the products they love, it's really important to be local. I know last uh, Thursday I was in uh, Denver, Colorado, spending some time with our team there. And the connection we have with local farmers is just outstanding when you look at Olathe corn and Palisade peaches and things like that where we're able to help a farmer uh, grow their business and uh, you know, take that across the company. So we never ever want to lose that localness because it's so important and it's what makes it special. But at the same time, we do have to understand it's the 21st century and we've got to make sure that we have scale to be able to compete with the players out understand there. Understand, you sure need it. That's why I believe this one is a, is whether they're dogmatic or not, makes too much sense for the American people, which is what we really care about, Rodney McMullen, Chairman and CEO of Kroger. It's great to have you on the show, Rodney. Thank you. Thank you, Jim.
Man Money's back into the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Kramer, that's right. Of course, another same as the pop up. Give you a play to sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That's the lightning round. Kramer, we're going with Brock in California. Brock! Jim, booyah. Booyah, bro. Hey, <laughs> hey, my question today is on Palantir. P-O-P-R. Okay, I have been against Palantir for some time until they put together a terrific quarter, and I told the CFO that, and I think that they should come on because the stock's going higher. August in Nevada, August. Hey, Jim, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. This year, home builder stocks have seen a ton of interest, and I want to get your thoughts on one that has moved significantly this year, and that stock is TriPoint Homes. TriPoint is still good. I do prefer Toll, and I prefer Lenar, but I've got to admit the guys from TriPoint have really put together a fabulous business plan, and housing continues to go up and price them out with the Fed does. Let's go to Leah Beth in North Carolina. Leah Beth. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call today. Of course. Of course. My question, as we are heading into earnings, what are your thoughts right now on Transmedic? Okay, this is transplant therapy, which is so vital in this country that I think that it transcends the earnings, and I do like the story. Let's go to Brandon in New Jersey. Brandon! Hey, So What's uh, happening? Yeah, my, uh, or, uh, my, uh, my girlfriend, she really loves this restaurant, and I, I don't really care for it, but I was wondering what you think about its stock. Um, of course, I'm talking about Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, cake, you got a big you know? menu there. A lot of choices. That's okay. My take is, is that Chipotle down a lot today is the one you want to go with, okay? I like Chipotle more. Uh, let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob. Hello there, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Um, I'd like to get your opinion about a, a small airline company that's not very well known. It's got good fundamentals, including the highest net margin in the industry. Frequently outperforms all the other airlines in my watch list. What do you think about Copa Holding? It's impressive. I just went fishing in Panama. It was one of the great alternatives. I think it's a good situation that people don't know about. I think you got horse sense. Let's go to Ricky in Mississippi. Ricky! How you doing, Mr. Jim? I am doing well. Booyah How are you? From Mississippi. I like to get your input. I've got my IRA, probably 10% of my total net worth of my IRA in SMCI. Should well, I that's a good one, but you off? know it is a second tier. It's, you know, it's second to NVIDIA as a way to play AI. So you remember, you're in the number two, not the number one. Let's go to Phil in Kansas. Phil. Hey, Jim. Big Booyah from North Kansas. Go Jayhawks. Uh, I'm looking at RKLB, Rocket Lab. No, let's uh, move on from Rocket Labs. Let's move on from the losing money. A space system stock that is up this much, almost 100%, that's losing money, is not my sell, cup sell, of sell. tea. I need Ken in Ohio. Ken, and a cup of tea, this please. Is, What's up? This, this is Ken from Ohio, and right. I've been watching you since Cudlow uh, days. Oh, my God. That was black and white TV. Incredible. What's happening? Okay. Uh, I've had Merck. For two years, I'm up about 42%. Uh, Should I continue to hold it? I think Merck is reinventing itself and is doing a terrific job, and I want you to hold the stock. Gary in New Jersey. Gary. Uh, Good evening, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. What's up? Uh, I got a question on a bank stock I acquired five years ago when my bank was bought out. The stock was 
A-R-N-Y, Carney. Okay, that's making a comeback, but I've got to tell you, if you're going to be in the lower quality ones, you probably want to be in key, which isn't that bad. But otherwise, Wells Fargo just announced a gigantic buyback. Why not go with Wells? Big name for the Chapel Trust. How about Nick in Florida? Nick. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. It's Nick from Florida. Okay. I want to give you a big shout out. Thank you ahead of time because you might be the only one who can put this in the proper perspective. It's it's absurd that our government has thrown a funeral pall over the entire pharmaceutical industry. Even my favorite person who I look up to in this world is paying top dollar for her meds up in Lindenhurst, New York. And what Rachel spends on her meds, is, you would figure these companies should not be charging lower. Aside from Eli Lilly, which may have a more realized right. valuation, do you think there is a catch-up trade now in good old Bristol Myers? No, Squid? I do not. Not unless the government tro- drops the, with the provisions that it just made to make it that are very onerous for the Bristol Myers of the world. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hello, operator. Get me any major CEO. Every earnings call tells a story, but they're not all happy tales. Kramer explains next. I say the same thing every earning season. Before you react to the quarter, please wait till the end of the conference call. Listen to that call. Read the transcript then. If you know how to interpret it, you'll know whether to buy or sell. But that's not always easy. There's tremendous puffery on many conference calls, and they can really fool you. We got that last night when Evan Spiegel, the CEO of Snap, explained that everything was great. He couldn't have been more wrong, and the whole thing bordered on delusional. Uh, given the death rattle that I'm seeing, this one's very hot stock. More important, though, is the tone set, not by the opening comments, but the granularity of the quarter, the so-called month-to-month cadence. And that's the forecast that's usually made by the CFO, sometimes by the CEO. For example, last night, Amy Hood, the incredibly capable CFO of Microsoft, sent the stock down 14 points in after hours trading as she talked about potentially slowing revenue and higher costs. If you bought ahead of those comments, as they told you not to, you were crushed. I found that Microsoft's forecast, though, it was way too conservative. So both on Squawk on the Street and, more importantly, in our investing club, live 10, 20 a.m. meeting. That's one I do every single day. I stress to people that CFO Hood is legendary for practicing UPOT. That's under-promising and over-delivering. Trust me, I've known it for 30 years. You might ask why Microsoft so often beats the estimates when they report. That's partially because Hood likes to set a low bar, as she did last night. That was the under-promise. The over-deliver comes next quarter, when people realize that Hood didn't include the huge new revenue streams that will be garnered by the company's AI services, which should ramp up steadily over the next few quarters and could perhaps be the real profits from the generative artificial intelligence that, well, that we've seen at any place. Now, look, the sellers of the stock will finish soon if they haven't already. And then the opportunity beckons. We often have a similar situation at Alphabet, although not last night, hence the stock's terrific ground. Departing CFO Ruth Porat has a habit of being, let's say, way too candid. She talks almost endlessly about what could go wrong, very rarely what could go right. But last night, she finally talked about what is going right. Search, Google Cloud, and especially YouTube. And that's why the stock word today, it's not done. Valuation's still low. Looking at the whole market, I can't think of anyone with more conference call credibility than Larry Cope. 
the CEO of General Electric. Until recently, he was abject that his company simply wasn't doing all that well. Cole Paterillo and G and Stables to clean up. So he wasn't going to give the impression that it was time to buy GE. But in the last two quarters, he's been incredibly buoyant, including yesterday's amazing tour de force talk about renewables embedded in the business that will soon be spun off as GE Vernova. Yesterday was the first time I've ever heard him talk positively about that division. Very meaningful. Who's the least credible among big-time, big-cap CEOs? Well, i got to say it's John Stanky at AT&T, who's always saying he's on the right trajectory. The guy should consult Google Maps because he could, Google Maps, because Stanky couldn't be more, of course, frankly. But the absolute worst conference call most quarters is from a tremendous company, Texas Instruments. The one-time premier American semiconductor enterprise spurns every chance to say anything positive and expresses a genuine contempt for analysts. Texas Instruments really just doesn't seem to want to bother with these conference call questions. And their total lack of desire to give analysts anything to work with, stressing too much inventory, not enough demand, makes owning a stock on earnings day a real buzzkill. Once management's done trashing its own stock, though, it usually turns into a buying opportunity. But let it be the best example of how some companies simply refuse to play the game. Texas Instruments never plays the game. And you can see what that did to the stock today. I say play the game or don't play at all. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mint Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.